Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. We are continuing our podcast about the war which Russia started against Ukraine. This series is brought to you by Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center to Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I am chief editor at ukraineworld.org. We are making this podcast with Tatyana Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello, Tanya. Hello, Volodymyr. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. So we're talking about the war. This episode will be focused on uh, the, the recent events. As uh, Let me remind that we're trying to change, exchange, kind of a modify, mix the episodes about the, the current events with episodes about the background, the cultural, historical background of this war, of this, of this conflict. And uh, today we'll be talking about what is what is really going on on the uh, on the ground. And um, the key event is, of course, that Ukrainians hit uh, the flagship Russian uh, ship warship, which is called Moskva. Symbolically, Moskva means Moscow, and it seems to it seems that it sunk. So it, it was really a huge, huge strike, right? This is even uh, certain at that very moment because we know that all this happened on late, late night in, on Wednesday, and yesterday it was a kind of uh, uh, misunderstanding was what was really happening on the ground because certain sources were saying that it's already sank, and um, Pentagon was saying that it is still floating, and Russians were saying that they, it was still floating, but uh, yesterday. So on Thursday night, we uh, f- starting from Thursday night, we were already sure, and it was confirmed by Russian Minister of Defense that this is over. The story for Moskva for this flagship is over, and this is a great victory for Ukrainian army. Let's make a focus on that because um, because this is the biggest the biggest warship in uh, in Russian fleet, the biggest one, the most powerful. It is a kind of a symbol of Russian uh, Russian army and it was based in Crimea in this uh, next um, occupied peninsula starting from 2014 and it is very very well known for uh, from the first days of this war when that very flagship approached Zmini Zmini Ukrainian territory and saying that uh, here Russian military military warship Mm, so you just uh, and and he received the answer. It received the answer from Ukrainian um, Ukrainian officers stating that go fuck yourself, uh, uh, Russian military uh, ship. And now uh, if you travel, we traveled a lot with you in Ukraine and everywhere on every boat you can see these famous phrases, famous slogan. It became a kind of very symbolic, symbolic. Um, I don't know how to say logo, logo maybe of Ukraine, Ukrainian resistance. So about this uh, Russian warship. So and now it comes true, and let's underline that it happened for the 50th day of Ukrainian resistance against this Russian aggression. So once again, quite a symbolic gesture. And um, what we've also observed in the first hours is that Russian. Uh, Russian uh, ships were trying to get back to Crimea code just to be quite far away from Ukrainian coast. This is important because it was a kind of a humiliation, important humiliation for Russian fleet and for Russian army because they were very proud 
of this exactly this uh, warship and they were e extremely proud of of uh, of of their fleet and now they are kind of uh, kind of uh, um, i don't know how to describe their feelings but some channels some telegram channels saying that putin was very angry about well, that we don't know we whether don't know these exactly. telegram channels are saying the truth or not we try to uh, basically we try to use the content by telegram channels uh, we at ukraine world only if it's visual content so if we if we see that there's a particular photo taken from uh, from a particular place for example we base a lot on on photos and videos from about Mariupol, right? Uh, because uh, the witnesses are uh, sending these photos. But of course, we understand the Telegram channels, uh, well, pro-Russian, anti-Russian, doesn't matter. They do not uh, usually spread uh, verified information. But the, the, yeah, the truth is that, well, the paradox is that this warship, Moskva, was actually built Uh, in Mykolaiv, yeah, in, that's what in I today's was Ukraine, in er, in late 70s, early 20s, uh, early uh, 80s, right? So Ukrainians uh, just uh, hate their own vessel. So at least a vessel constructed many years ago in, in Mykolaiv. And Mykolaiv was bombed uh, in recent days many times and in the recent weeks many times. Now Russian troops are quite away from Mykolaiv. But once again... Why this is important? Because they were sending missiles from this, uh, exactly this uh, warship uh, to the whole territory of Ukraine, to Kiev and maybe even to Lviv and even to one from Kiev's region. So uh, they were able to, to hit many, many um, aims at, on the whole territory. And some experts say we, we, we are unable to verify that information, but some experts, military experts, are stating that maybe there were even two nuclear missiles on this boat. This is not uh, clear at that moment, but, but we cannot exclude that because it was one of the biggest, the biggest, the biggest uh, ship. So maybe some nuclear threat is already over. For, for, for Did they explode these nuclear bombs? Hopefully not, because there, there were no, no evidence of that, but uh, there were explosions, but it was a partial explosion, and then it, it sank, so let's hope. We are not sure of anything, but I have read at least two military ex experts saying that it, it, it is possible, and according to official description of um, ammunition, present on the this warship it is we, we cannot exclude that at least and let's let's also give the background what's happening in the black sea and the sea of azov so after russians uh, occupied crimea in 2014 they started claiming that of course the territories around crimea are the the, the, the waters russian. are russian waters then they gradually annexed the sea of azov so they're uh, not letting ukrainian ships going uh, and going there and um, and now they're basically controlling the black sea and they are blocking ukrainian ports so some of the very important ukrainian ports are occupied by Russians, like Berdyansk or Mariupol. Well, Mariupol is, uh, as, we, as we know, the city that practically no longer exists. And Mykolaiv is, is blocked. Odessa, also one of the most important ports. Um, ships can probably go 
away from Odessa, but then they will, you know, face the Russian warships. Yeah, they're what, just what transforming this sea, this Black Sea, and also Azov Sea into a kind of a lake, so Russian lake. So what we were claiming for many months and even years already, uh, specifically in the last during last months, they were uh, trying to 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 transform these seas into lakes, Russian lakes. So and this is important economically also for Ukraine. What you just developed. So about speaking about ports, ports are important for Ukraine not only as military bases and not specifically as military bases, but as economic economic uh, uh, opportunities. So and when we speak now about about huge losses of Ukraine, Ukrainian huge losses in economy, it is mainly linked to the fact that we cannot export, I don't know, agricultural production abroad by via our ports. Exactly, and this is also harms the global economy because Ukraine is a very important supplier of agricultural goods worldwide, and therefore international organizations are now talking about the possible crisis, food security crisis in Africa, in Asia, in other on other continents. Because Ukraine is important for the world, has been important throughout its history because of its. Uh, lands because of its earth because of its uh, agricultural capacity etc so this is this shows the, the global importance of ukraine and russians are blocking the black sea they are uh, black sea is not their waters by any means you know black sea is also the sea where three nato countries are are you know having their coasts bulgaria romania and turkey and uh, and why international community does not unblock the Black Sea? Why, for example, there are no NATO ships coming into the Black Sea showing that Russians do not have a right to be there? Yeah, they try to avoid maybe this kind of direct clash, you know, with Russian army. But what is important now is that about Turkey. Turkey is actually blocking several other Russian warships um, and they cannot get back to Black Sea. This is important for us because the, these warships, they have a lot of missiles as well, but they cannot reach to Ukrainian territory at that very moment. So Turkey is doing some important things for us because it was the, the biggest warship, but not the, the only one. But what is important to underline at the same time that this warship was uh, destroyed by Ukrainian system, Ukrainian system called Niptun. It was uh, under construction for many, many, many years, starting from 2014. And the idea was was born in 2014 at that very moment when Crimea was annexed. So the idea was to protect uh, to protect uh, Ukrainian territory from uh, Russian warship yeah, on the in the Black Sea. And it took many years to construct, and we followed a lot of uh, stories about that with, because you need, they need a lot of money for that. And finally, it was approved and tested in January 2022, so just two months, let us say two months before the war started. And so this is the first time this Neptune was used and it's successfully used and so this is really a kind of victory uh, I would say this is not uh, NATO it's not coming from NATO like any other weapons is coming in in mass maybe today we hope we hope we don't know exactly but we a lot of announcement uh, and uh, clif- cl- clarifications were made about um, United States what they are delivering uh, some other countries but this is important to say that this is specifically Ukraine against Russia. And Ukraine has shown that we are 
capable to to destroy their worship just with our uh, homemade homemade systems this is a great victory Yes, and uh, let's not forget that Ukrainians are really getting um, getting more arms from uh, from from the West. There was a recent information about many items coming from the United States. So uh, I think time time for Russia becomes much more difficult right now. Yes, and I think this is important that it it was for the very first time when this uh, supply was I mean. Uh, was made public. I mean, so that everybody was able to read what is really inside. And this is a kind of a public gesture, very important, showing that USA, um, United States are not afraid to show what is what is delivered, what is being delivered. Because um, uh, during the first months of this war, we observed a lot of, um, a lot of, um, hidden information saying that we we try to avoid at all price any direct clash with Russia. So if we supply arms, we keep it secret for them not to be angry with us because Russians were saying that we will attack any kind of place where where these NATO um, weapons are coming. So and now uh, I think this is a kind of symbolic um, importance of that. So we are not afraid. So it's NATO countries saying we are not afraid to say publicly what we are delivering here it's your turn to to be afraid of what is what is going to happen and uh, i think it's important because it, it is it shows that their awareness about the, the the sense the meaning of this war is becoming a kind of more clear now not only for ukraine but also for our western partners so this is a clear war and you have uh, you have to take a side in this war and if you supply arms it it means that you are already in the conflict. And I think that this kind of kind of um, political gestures is linked to the fact that the, the estimation for nuclear, for use, use of nuclear, uh, nuclear missiles is diminishing. So because of many reasons, may, maybe, but um, the West, NATO is, I, I have an impression, I may be mistaken, but I have an impression is less afraid of Putin now than uh, one month ago, than one month ago. Let's quote some figures. Uh, uh, initially, uh, figures that are showing the, the capacity of Ukrainian army. Uh, traditionally, we um, name the figures which are expressed, which are given by Ukraine's defense ministry. Uh, of course, uh, these figures can be put into question sometimes, but uh, we understand that uh, there is very little capacity to uh, verify, although there are some projects that are verifying these figures, and um, some, sometimes they are less, for example, lesser numbers, but we quoted several such projects in our previous episodes. So Ukrainians are saying that the, the, the number of uh, the number of Russian soldiers, Russian personnel that Russians lost is already twenty thousand, and huge. Uh, it, it's a huge number. Uh, also, Ukrainians destroyed uh, seven hundred fifty-six tanks, uh, one hundred forty-four helicopters, one hundred sixty-three aircrafts, uh, three hundred sixty-six artillery systems, eight boats. Uh, one thousand and half, one and a half thousand of vehicles, seventy-six fuel tanks, 
um, and oh, about 2,000 armored vehicles, etc. So you can you can check on our Twitter the the exact numbers. And, and what is linked to that, uh, to losses, I mean human losses in, in the Russian army, is that um, yesterday, for example, I saw this advertisement in, in Moscow Metro, if I'm not mistaken, maybe it happened in Moscow, in Metro, that's for sure, but we are not sure if it was in Moscow or some other city. Advertisement about that, about calling for people who would like to join Russian army. And uh, the slogan was, it's my business, and uh, for short-term contracts. So they were uh, appealing for people for short-term contracts. And surely enough, Ukrainians were, were kidding that during all day long yesterday, because surely enough for Ukrainians, any kind of military entering, entering our territories for short-term stay, in fact, because a lot of them uh, are dying here. And uh, <laughs> clearly enough, that's not for, for long stay. Yeah, there, there are lots of memes, lots of kind of uh, humor around this war, interestingly enough, which also shows this Ukrainian attitude to, 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 to this, because of course there are lots of inhumane sufferings, but uh, Ukrainians also very often reacting with, with dark black humor on this. Let's quote also some very sad figures, actually um, announced by uh, Ukrainian ombudswoman Lyudmila Denisova about basically homeless Ukrainians. So how many Ukrainians lost have ho lost their homes? And the number is just uh, huge. It's 200,000. It's all over 200,000. 219,600. Uh, That's the number of Ukrainians who lost their homes. Just just imagine. I mean. Lost in, in, in terms that they uh, their homes are destroyed. Yes, exactly, exactly. And it's 5.3 million meters uh, square meters total housing size destroyed over 5 million square meters so far uh, 76 uh, 76,000 Ukrainians applied for a state compensation I don't know what the state compensation will look like frankly I mean Ukraine mm -hmm. is not that rich country that will uh, supply everybody who lost their homes with a new apartment I really doubt this but out of 200,000, uh, there is 76,000 people who applied for state compensation and 3,600 cultural heritage sites destroyed. So, look, look how, so it's 200,000. 200,000, 200,000. 219,000 Ukrainians lost their people, homes. People or families? Because people. People. people, because look, if you, if we talk about Mariupol, what we know for sure, let's be let's be careful with these figures. They were four hundred thousand before the war, and all these people have lost their homes. Well, we we don't know. We we, we actually so maybe, don't know. maybe it's without Mariupol. I don't know because in, if if you look, so Mariupol is, is is not a place to live. Zelensky, Volodymyr Zelensky, president of Ukraine, communicated yesterday that according to official information, only ninety five percent of um, what of of housing is destroyed in in the city. So you can just erase, you just they just erase the whole city. So at least four hundred thousand have lost their homes. Maybe there is a possibility for reconstruction we don't know exactly how it looks like for all the uh, but but uh, but i doubt 
that there is any possibility to, to leave, uh, for example, if the war starts tomorrow, imagine, so that the people will, will be able to come back. This is just not imaginable. Yeah, so these figures are... These figures will be much higher, actually. This is this is what we have uh, confirmed figure from the ombudswoman. But maybe I mean the number of Ukrainians who lost their homes will reach half a million, million people, right? Who actually, this is the fi- the figures that we have now, but uh, it, it certainly will will increase. And Mariupol actually. Yeah, the the, the 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 tragedy, inhumane tragedy of this of this city is that uh, we still. Uh, I mean, we know what is going on, but uh, but most probably Russians are just erasing the traces of, of of their atrocities. Therefore, there is this news about mobile crematoriums, and we know that we're publishing photos on our Twitter about peop- uh, collective graves. Of people just near the streets, people are just burying the, their dead. And um, what is also happening in Mariupol, and what was communicated yesterday officially by by Ukrainian side, is about these forced deportations. Um, what they claim, they say at least forty-five uh, thousand people deported by force from Donetsk and Lugansk regions, so from the east, and seventy uh, thousand people deported by force to from Mariupol only. So imagine a city of uh, 400,000 people and 70,000 already deported to Russia. And what we are already reading in press, uh, testimonies of some people, several people who escaped Russia after being deported there, and they tell the whole story. Uh, they tell about these so-called filtration, I don't know how you say, filtration camps, where people are, they are, you are interviewed, and uh, according to estimations, about 5% of people, mainly men and pro-Ukrainian, I know openly pro-Ukrainian people, they do not pass a check, and they eliminated, I don't know, killed or whatever, maybe imprisoned. And uh, children, women, and elderly people, they do travel um, to, to, to Russia, to many different regions. So this is about forced deportation. Let's read some of the testimonies. We continue collecting the testimonies of people. You can see them on our Twitter under the hashtag Ukraine World Testimony. And we're also publishing the testimonies on our website, ukraineworld.org. So a few testimonies I would like to read to you from Kyiv, both from Kyiv region. One is from Alona, uh, who is described uh, her parents' house in a village located between Bucha and Borodyanka. They were lucky to uh, to escape on March 10th. And uh, after a month, uh, the, the father of, of this uh, Alona came back uh, to ho- home. So neighbors told him that five Russian tanks parked right in our garden and many of the Russians were living in our home. The Ukrainian military thinks that it was a hub for Chechens from Kadyrov's army. The house remains intact, though the Russians have stolen everything they could carry and destroyed my parents' home inside and out. Their tanks smashed plants, trees and flowers in our garden. They burned books and my daughter's paintings. They trampled over the the furniture with their boots on. They nailed uh, a patchwork blanket to a wall with a knife to cover the ruined glass of the terrace doors. 
They rummaged through all the drawers and, and wardrobes. Furthermore, they also carved the letter V on, an, on a knife, uh, uh, with a knife on a kitchen cabinet. So this is the testimony. Of course, not the most horrible one, but uh, maybe something which is very typical for people who are coming back to their houses and then uh, see, uh, see uh, for example, the, the, the traces of the stay of Russian army. Another uh, testimony that we've published, it's already on our website, ukraineworld.org, it's a diary. Diary by Bogdana, uh, who uh, also from Kiev Oblast, she, she was doing the, uh, her diary from 24th of February until 8th of April. And just a, a few probably excerpts from this diary. Uh, columns of Russian military equipment are going to Kiev. We are scared. We are praying like never before in our lives. Two people were shot near the village just because they are Ukrainians. I never I, I even thought that such cruelty is possible nowadays. I'm beginning to understand my grandmother who never went to see the fireworks because it reminded her of the war. Neighbors' children came up with a game called Beat Putin. Beating Putin is an honor. Nobody wants to be Putin, so they appoint some inanimate object as Putin and beat it until the knuckles are bloody with hatred that children should not have. We are tired, physically and morally. The occupiers claim that they will win soon. They say that they need to be patient, we need to be patient, and that we will have Russian peace. This is what we are all most afraid of. Today, those who laughed at the fact that I met Floor and digging up the last bags of wheat, are digging up the last bags of wheat. People are preparing for a long occupation. We have learned to churn butter, bake bread and appreciate life and the people around us. Uh, the occupiers are demanding from us prostitutes, wheat, chicken and milk. Young girls try not to go out alone. Since the beginning of the war, women of all ages try not to look bright or presentable. We are scared. So uh, you, can, you can find this longer diary on our website. Uh, and of course, we see the the reports about the the rapes, rapes uh, numerous rapes. Unfortunately, the numbers are high, and what is important to understand that the real number is much higher than it is reported, because this is not a thing that you will declare the first day you are liberated, because this is a kind of. Uh, Thing, but unfortunately, not only women and not even girls, but even even girls. I mean, um, under uh, we received information about eleven years old, nine years old. So all these atrocities. So they will be, they will be responding for that one day. We are almost sure. And importantly enough, yesterday Ukrainian parliament officially recognized Russian aggression as genocide. This is important, this is a political decision, sure, but this is important for somebody to start. So we start this campaign saying that this is a genocide, at least at least locally in, in, in what was happening in Mariupol or in, in other cities which were occupied. So they were really killing Ukrainians for being Ukrainians. If you read with the program, Texts like that one text we we discussed already at uh, the state uh, site Ria Novosti. So they were they're talking about the Ukrainization of Ukraine. For them, being Ukrainian means to be not to be humane. So you you can do whatever you want with Ukrainians because they are simply not like you. So what they are really doing? 
And um, we got lots of interceptions by <clears throat> SBU, Ukrainian Security Service. And one of the interceptions that we published on our Twitter, it's a talk between a wife of Russian soldier and this Russian soldier in which she uh, allows him to rape Ukrainian women. And it's, it's a conversation where she, she laughs. And she says, you can rape Ukrainian, Ukrainian women, but no, without telling me, and just use condoms. Yeah, so, just, yeah just don't, don't, don't tell me about don't it. Don't tell yeah. me. But I have the impression that this kind of women would be proud to tell her, you know, other women, female friends, or somewhere in Russia, that her husband raped Ukrainian women in numbers and... This is, this is the tonality of this conversation. We'll discover a lot, a lot of these truths, maybe months or years after, after the war will be over. Uh, there is no doubt that uh, we don't know maybe the huge part of these atrocities because we get to know that when y- Ukrainian um, villages and uh, cities are liberated, not cities because villages and small towns are liberated, so unfortunately we will uh, get to know all this uh, later. And we'll discuss it all that later. We can only imagine what what, what is happening now in, in in villages in the east, which are occupied, and what is happening in Mariupol. Let's talk. talk maybe it's important. Maybe the last thing about about Mariupol military military aspect. Uh, there are a lot of rumors saying that at least Russians are saying every day they say that Mariupol is already Russian, but at that very moment we do know that there are still Ukrainian troops inside Azov Battalion and. And other Ukrainian uh, troops, they are together. They control a part of the city. We don't know exactly at that moment which part and how big is this part. But they are still there. Uh, they are not receiving uh, a lot of aid from exterior because this is simply impossible. But, um, but uh, this is important not only just to, to keep the control over the Mariupol, but important just to keep busy all these 10,000 Russian troops which are busy with Mariupol, so they cannot attack in Donbass, they cannot try to do something else. So from that point of view, this heroic, without any exaggeration, heroic resistance of Mariupol uh, has already saved one month, more than one month, already time for Ukrainians to prepare for this bigger attack in Donbass. And we will never be enough grateful for these defenders of Mariupol. I mean, all Ukrainians, we just even, we cannot uh, uh, overestimate the importance of of their resistance. And, and let's be clear, I mean, the big number of those defenders are from Azov. Uh, this battalion, uh, this formation of, of Ukrainian army, which was, had a so much I don't know how to call it, criticism, criticism. black PR, whatever, calling them neo-Nazis, etc., without, uh, quite often without really going into detail what this word neo-Nazi mean. Uh, and, um, and now these are people who are heroically defending Mariupol against this real, really fascist neo-Nazi state. Because, I mean, this concept, I don't want to go into details, but the concept of neo-Nazism, it presumes that there is a state architecture behind you, you know. 
And only only with this state architecture you can build a really totalitarian regime. But that's another story. We probably will discuss it later. Uh, maybe final final remarks about disinformation and propaganda. We are monitoring it uh, very very regularly on on Ukraine World's website. And uh, what can we say? It's it was interesting. Uh, our our partners from Texty or UA spotted this that the word Nazi. You know, we, we know that Russians are dehumanizing Ukrainians and calling that all Ukrainians are Nazis, etc. Not only Azov Battalion, but, you know, Ukrainians are passive Nazis and should also, all, all be exterminated. And um, it's important that since 24th of February, there was a huge spike in this usage of this term. So, of course, Russian state TV and propagandist channels were using this term very regularly. But suddenly from the 24th, it's just increased, increased dramatically. And uh, our partners spotted uh, several dozens of, the, of dimensions uh, uh, up, on, up until 80 mentions per day on, on some key news, um, news outlets. And it seems that, you know, this, they're talking about Nazis, 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 Nazis all the time in their news about Ukraine. And this is also a very important part of the strategy of dehumanizing. Also, they're blame, blaming the West and, uh, for example, Maria Zakharova, the famous spokesperson of Russia's foreign ministry, said that collective, the quote, collective West took a demonstrative, demonstrative stance against us. They accuse us of creating crisis and try to punish us politically. So the message is that it's not our fault. We were dragged into the war. It's all the West's fault. Uh, also, they are saying, Russians are saying, Russian media are saying that Russia fights against the West. Quote, the West does not hide that it is at war with us. The West doesn't fight on its territory, nor with its own hands, meaning that Ukrainians are just, you know, marionettes, pawns of, of, of the West. Uh, Lentaru writes that the EU elites openly use Ukrainian citizens as their pawns. Washington does not have efficient international diplomacy, and there is very weak anti-war movement in the country. Well, <laughs> what about Russia, by the way, anti-war movement? Uh, I continue the quote from Lentaru. These and other factors have put the world on the brink of a nuclear catastrophe. So the idea that we are, you know, we are... You know, we're just innocent. We are not committing crimes in Bucha, in Mariupol. We were dragged into the war. It's all the West's fault. It's incredible how they're twisting everything. And uh, I just don't have words. And, to and the consequences it. are quite clear because there are a lot of a lot of uh, normal people. I mean, ordinary people. They do believe this kind of propaganda. They're saying our soldiers are defending. They are defending Ukrainians. They are in Ukraine, and so they they justify all. So and these Nazis, Ukrainian Nazis, are killing people and all that. So so this is kind of kind of mis misunderstanding. So and the consequences are huge because there are millions behind, there are millions who believe this propaganda, and it will take I don't know how much how much time to 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 understand what was happening in Ukraine, but we do know. This day will come, and the, all the atrocities and all the crimes of Russian regime will be clear for everybody, and Russian citizens will be 
announced responsible i mean i mean for, for for what their government is doing now and not only this generation but also the next generation because they will pay and we do hope now that they even financially this is important just to impose this uh, this uh, burden to pay for all the destructions they made in in ukraine because it's only one month and, and a half of this war and already a lot of things are destroyed but if if the war goes on we can imagine how they can transform the whole country into a ruin let's hope uh, they will not succeed in doing that and uh, that ukrainians will be victorious and ukrainians have shown that they can be victorious against the russians but we need more support from international community more sanctions closing the loopholes in sanctions and uh, more weapons uh, to counteract and counterattack. This was a Ukraine World podcast uh, explaining Ukraine. We're making this podcast together uh, from Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Uh, my name is Vladimir Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of UkraineWorld.org, and I'm joined by uh, Tetiana Harko, who is in charge of uh, international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. You can support us at patreon.com slash Ukraine World. Stay with us and stand with you.